Jake Novak is with us live via telephone today at 11 a.m. Eastern time. He's actually announced via Twitter what he intends to do at 11 a.m. Eastern time today right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. He writes, I'll dive into the very transparent superiority complex many of us are experiencing as a reaction to coronavirus and look at a few things we can improve even during this lockdown. On Twitter, you can follow him at JakeJakeNY. Jake Novak, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thanks for having me, Nahum. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it, especially on short notice. Um, we'll get to your topic for today in a minute. I just, you know, it's funny, over the last couple of months, some of the experts, most notably my dear friend Mayor Weingarten, have been, you know, trying to explain to me uh, BB's um, machinations uh, post-election number three. And I really didn't get it every time he said that, you know, he's a brilliant politician and he's he knows exactly what he's doing and look what he's done to Gantz, et cetera. Now it's becoming so, so obvious, even to someone like me who doesn't follow it as closely as he and others do. Basically, it seems once the mandate was given to Gans, it seems BB made a commitment. I will do everything in my power to get to a fourth election. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, it seems most likely that that's where it went. Um you know, they kept having these announcements that they were close to a coalition <laughs> right. deal and that and that uh, Gantz had finally agreed to allow Netanyahu to be prime minister first, which Nachum, the most significant um, news event that's happened since the third election is that they, is that blue and white has disintegrated. Right. Uh, because Gantz was willing to, I, I mean, as I've told you, and I'm sure Mayor has told you many times, Blue and White's only reason to exist was to not was to depose Netanyahu. They right. had no other policy but of any consequence. But it's still amazing to watch how Netanyahu knew how frayed they were, and that if he just made a couple of moves, he would disintegrate them. Basically, yeah, I think that he expected that to happen after the second election. Right. Um, I think he expected that to happen even after the first election. You know, it, when you come to a situation when you're willing to do some kind of partnership, you expect the person who is going to be prime minister at some point, in this case, Gantz, will have enough selfish, you know, reasons, you know, and I don't mean this in a negative way. I mean, just we'll, we'll have it. We'll think about his own potential career enough to say, okay, I don't need the, I don't need you guys anymore. And that probably should have happened after the first election. But that is such a significant development that it finally did happen because now, if we go to fourth elections, who's that? You know, what's that party going to be that's going to be able to get even close to the number of seats that Likud would get? And now with his Corona handling, they're talking about forty seats for Likud. Yeah. So, uh, you know, look, crises are usually a, a, a gift to someone who really knows what they're doing. I mean, sometimes you can really know what you're doing and you're still not going to do very well in an election. You know, right. I, a good example of that is, is the first George H.W. Bush. Right. I mean, was there ever a more um, experienced, qualified guy for the presidency? I, I, you know, listen, I didn't like a lot of his policies and a lot of the things that he did. But he was really, really uh, experienced in government. Right. And yet the crisis of the uh, of the recession he didn't handle as well, you know. Have he had, so it doesn't mean it, just because you have experience, you know, to handle crisis well. But but Netanyahu does. Or at least he comes off like he's very authoritative, and that works for him. Jake Novak with us. We'll get to your topic of the day in a minute. But I just have to ask you: you have to understand, um, you and and you know the amount of support in this audience for President Trump. Nonetheless, you have to understand when people feel that he's misusing the pulpit of the presidency. Would that be a good way of putting it? Well, I think people are, you know, listen, there's the people who always just bash him, and if he says 2 plus 2 is 4, they'll say it's 5. 
So I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people here who will give him. I mean, I, I have I have a lot of uh, colleagues like that and friends like that who have been unhappy with some of the things he has said off the cuff at these at these news conferences. I think that that's what you're really getting at. Because honestly, I don't think it's fair to go after this. Well, he could have done something a week or two before. Uh, you know, the one thing we've learned from all this is that we don't know anything, and that's right. going to be a big topic for me on the show, and we'll talk about that in a second. But what I think has been irking people who have a right to be irked is, well, when he talks about the ratings of the yeah. of the news conferences. The, when he, the when he goes, Yeah, when he bashes the opponents a little bit too much, although they really, you know, very often they deserve it. And they figure, well, we just want him to be like the governors or the mayors are after hurricanes or other kinds of disasters. Tell us that information and then get off the stage. So I think that I think that that's a fair criticism from the few people who are fairly criticizing him here. I think that that is a fair criticism. On the other hand, it's becoming more and more obvious that a lot of his initial uh, inclinations or how to deal with this were really right on the money. The shutting down of the flights from China. He should have. He should have shut down the flights from Europe too, which oh, apparently they I, really by, wanted to by do. The, by the way, with, yeah. without all the without all the shtick, I agree with you that yeah. uh, that that he did as best as one can do with the information he had, yeah. and that's <laughs> and that's a big compliment. Yeah. But the shtick, the taking on the reporters, the one day being the friendliest guy in the world to other government officials, and the next day, you know, challenging them to a duel. Yeah. It, it just it, it, even those who have voted for him are now wondering if they can even pull the lever for him again. Well, this is a microcosm, though, of the entire presidency, and something that people like me have been trying to explain to people long before Trump came on the scene, which is these guys in office, these gals in office, are not our friends. And if you're looking for them to be role models, you're really looking in the wrong place. There is a very low, I mean, if you, on, the, on the list of high moral to low moral character, politicians are very, very low. Even new politicians like a person like, like President Trump. And one of the things that has just been, you know, which has just flabbergasted me, is that people are not looking at the actual policies enough, the actual things that are in place. And but but not, I shouldn't say flabbergasted because we have a cult of personality type news media in this country, a cult of personality culture. We look at people much more than their deeds. No, I get that. And he is. He's, yes, I mean, th- th- there are times when he really fumbles that for people who like to believe, well, I want my president to be a mensch. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I, I'm not making fun of people who say, oh, I want my president to act like a mensch. But if you're coming from the t- – but, but when you decide you want him to be a mensch and you have presidents who act like a mensch and politicians who act like a mensch and do horrible, horrible, horrible things, you know, give me the guy who isn't a mensch in that situation. I agree with you, but but the the majority, if not the overwhelming majority, of presidents and government officials in that type of situation – would would at least you know show some mutual respect and likely likely get the respect back in that atmosphere of a press conference. If Mike Pence was up there, he could he could be completely at odds with everybody in the room. I think you would still see a civil discussion taking place, even if they're completely opposite when it comes to policy and and you know and and uh, conclusions. Well, I think one of the things that. You, you, there's, there's two things going on here. One is that Trump is an incredibly pugnacious person. Now, this sounds like I'm coming from third grade. I'm going to let everyone know that right off the bat. It sounds like I'm a third grader here. But one of the things I've noticed about Trump is that he only punches back when someone punches him first. Now, that doesn't excuse him. I, we would all like to see Trump ex- to I- ignore at least half right. of the people attacking him. Right. And one of the things that I noticed when he was – this is when he was president-elect, and I wrote a column about it. He punched back against some low-level union guy – in Indiana, who criticized him on the news media 
this is when he wasn't even president yet. He had been elected. He was about to become president. And he mentioned this guy by name and said, this guy, if he were, any, if he were a decent union leader, he wouldn't do X, Y, and Z. And I wrote a whole column of saying, like, you know what? You can get away with punching back against big-time celebrities and big-time politicians. But he better be careful never to do this again against somebody who's a nobody. And, you know, he hasn't. Now, again, I sound like a third grader when I say, like, well, right. they hit him first. I, I, I get it. We want the president to ignore at least half of these attacks from people and, just, and, and get past it. But a lot of people are attracted to this pugnacious stuff with him because they have felt as conservatives or as Republicans or as it's just non-liberals that for years people, the Mitt Romneys of the world and the George W. Bushes of the world, decided to be nice when people were calling them Hitler and people were calling them these horrible things. And they feel like, you know what, they didn't get anything out of it. Now, we might have, you know, because, you know, we, you know, we think, oh, well, at least people called them a mensch. Right. Well, not at the time. Not at the time. I don't remember a bunch of people okay. from, the, from the left and the moderates calling George W. Bush and Mitt Romney a mensch. I, I don't remember I that. Hear that. I see it now. I, I hear that, that point, and that point is really clear. But what, yeah. about, what about the, uh, uh, the campaign uh, rallies that are taking place during the press conference? What about, you know, all the yeah. time that he's spending you know, diverting everyone's attention to how great he is and how wonderful every move he's made and that he's responsible for the, you know, for all the ventilators that have been created. Yeah. In other words, you know, that, that, can, that can grow on you a bit when you see that day after day. No, I, I, and I agree. But, you know, this is the way that, uh, the, the, you know, they, this is what people have been asking for, not the way that Trump does it, but people, a lot of people have been asking for this for a long time when it comes to the news media. Right. You know, right. 90% of the questions are gotcha questions. Right. Now, I, it, it, listen, if I, were the, if I were the press secretary, I, w- I feel like I would have a better way to get around it, which is by, by, by basically exposing their ignorance, not by punching back and calling them bad people, but by asking them how many, for example, if they say, well, we needed, we needed 300,000 ventilators in, in, in New York State, I would just ask them, how many people are in New York State? Right. They wouldn't be able to answer that question. How many people are actually live in New York City? Now, you and I might know that off the top of our head, but I don't think that the Washington Press Corps does. Right. Little things. I would do that as opposed to I would do a little Socratic method type professor in a law school. You know, when you didn't, when you didn't clearly didn't, or, or you know, maybe in your Gemara year when it was obvious you didn't prepare the sugya, right. <laughs> and the Rebbe asks you some questions like, uh, you know, how many times is Abaye mentioned in the sugya, and he's not mentioned at all. Right. Things like that. I would do that in 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 a way that would be, and that's my brilliant plan. But the fact well, is, is that that's what he's pushing back against, and right. I agree with you. He should pass over and ignore about half of this stuff. Right, but he's but not I don't do want to get on my high horse and pretend and be a David Brooks type or some of these other people who I think are incredibly disingenuous or Ben Sass. They, you know, they're probably halfway decent people themselves, but I think they're being incredibly disingenuous when they say, well, you must always be above the fray. And that's, that's baloney, because the, the fray is pretty, you know, we're already in a pretty ugly place. This is not, you know, they're not in the Kodesh Kedoshim here. This is politics. This is a dirty place. And there are dirty people involved, and there are some incredibly ignorant and bad people involved. And it's pretty easy for you and me to say, well, I think you should be above the fray. Now, I think it's right for us to say it at least half the time. But let's not get too much on our high horse here and say, well, the best thing for him to do is to just you know, be presidential and talk about it. When you have 50, 60 reporters who are trying to get you and don't really have any facts at their, at their disposal, that's a, little, that's a little easy for you and me to say. Jake Novak with us. He says on Twitter today, at 11 a.m. this morning, Eastern Time on the Nahum Siegel Network, he'll dive into the very transparent superiority complex many of us are experiencing as a reaction to the virus. And he'll look at the a few things we can improve even during this lockdown. What do you mean, Jake? Well, one of the things that's been very, very disturbing for me, because I think it shows not only a lack of awareness, but also just a real coarse attitude, 
is we have seen over the last week or so people here in New York, New Jersey area, as we sadly know, the very epicenter of the death toll and the, uh, uh, in this coronavirus. I mean, you take New York and New Jersey out, you've got more than half the deaths off the table, right? So we're really in a bad place here. Right. And, and yet I'm seeing Manhattan residents, members of the news media, some other people who are just sort of maybe celebrities, other people who are kind of elitists, writing and, sp- and bashing the folks in Florida who are walking on a beach, uh, supporting the use of a bulldozer to put sand over a skate park in Venice, California, Venice Beach uh, in the Los Angeles area, and talking about how stupid these people are who want to get out and work and have a livelihood. Now, to me, this is an example of delusion and deflection. They, you know, listen, we're living in a horrible situation here, and a lot of people are trying to ignore it and pretend like they know better. It's also a real lack of awareness of, of a one simple fact here, which is we really still don't know a lot of solid facts about this virus and how it spreads. Now, I think everyone should continue the social distancing rules. I'm not telling anyone to stop doing that, but I want you to all remember we actually don't know if it's working. We don't know that for sure. Should you stop doing it? Absolutely not. Wear the mask when you go into the grocery store. Stay away from people who aren't in your immediate home, you know, with by six feet or so. I'm absolutely telling you to follow those guidelines. Do not mis- you know, no one should misquote me or misunderstand me. However, we don't know much. And when, what I'm seeing is this very alarming trend of people pretending like they really know everything. And these folks who want to get out and work and get back to their lives, they're the dumb ones and they're stupid. Well, you know what? That, that to me is just—it's just—it's incredibly unattractive and really unsettling to see that because, frankly, it's—it's it's this ridiculous situation of people in the epicenter of the death toll making fun of people who haven't had much of an effect—you know—effect of the virus at all, as if we know everything. So when you um, when you hear the president say, and I'm making up the numbers, I don't remember yeah. exactly the quote. When you hear the president say we've lost, I don't know, 50,000, and that number could be two million if we wouldn't have done X, Y, and Z, you, you're raising your you're raising your eyebrows with skepticism. Well, it's just we don't know. I mean, it's sound, listen, you know, give me a, a true or false test. You know, I got two choices. He's probably right. They're probably right that social distancing has 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 lowered the, the death toll. That that makes sense just on a logical standpoint right. because it's that's true of every right. You're away from potential disease. people that can give you the disease, right? Right. So I get that. But has it really been the number one factor in this? Because there are other scientists who are saying, no, this thing just runs, it, runs its course, whether you do the, system, the distancing or the lockdowns or not. Right. Now, again, I'm in favor of doing the, safety, the safe thing within reason, I think. Again, the social distancing stuff we should do. We should be very careful with the people who are more susceptible to this, especially the elderly. But we don't know. We really don't know. Now, we don't even know. If the shutting down of the flights from China, which, you know, which is something that does seem like the best move that President Trump made, we're not even 100 percent sure that made a huge difference. I hope it did, because that means we, that we saved some lives. But, again, I, I am just asking everyone that this is, the, this is the hardest thing to ask for when it comes to political punditry and stuff on Facebook and stuff on Twitter. I'm asking for a little humility here. And I asked for the same thing after President Trump was elected. I was expecting to see some humility. I wasn't expecting people to say, oh, now I support Donald Trump. I wasn't expecting that at all. But I was expecting a bunch of people to say, well, you know, we got it wrong, and we got it wrong because there were things that we misunderstood about the country, and we're really going to try to fix that. Instead, most of those people who got it wrong said, oh, the reason why I got it wrong is because Russia cheated. And this was a cheat. So it's like, you know, you, you, you lose the chess match and then you turn and you flip over the chessboard and say right. you cheated and run back to your room. Most of the uh, supposedly mature, mensch-like news media did that. 
and, conti- and punditry did that and continued to do stuff like that. And now they're doing it again with this coronavirus, pretending that they haven't been humbled. I've been humbled. I didn't think that this was going to be so bad. I didn't think it was going to you know, force all this stuff. And, and, I, and I'm willing to admit that, and I want to learn more about it. I don't understand why more people can't come to the table with that attitude other than just to simply say, you know, I guess these folks just don't have the maturity. And it's really disappointing because we hear their voices all the time. Very cool point. I like that. By the way, if you look at the graph from New York State, last couple of days have been, I mean, not that there's such a thing as much better when you're talking about you know, disease and death, yeah. but in terms of the case number, we are way down compared to a couple of days ago. Yeah, and and that may and, and again that's probably because of the social distancing. Again, I, again, put put a gun to my head, and that's probably what it is. No, I'm but a, I don't pretend you know, to know for sure because I'm on a different um, I'm on a different soapbox these days. Yeah. I, and and what I just said, you know, I hope I don't know if it proves it. I hope it you know makes the point uh, to a degree, and that is that um, you know we we make Havdalah Thursday night after the eighth day of Pesach. And I find out that on April 16th, which was that day, Thursday, Governor Cuomo says things will be status quo till May 15th. And I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah. A- a- another month? Like, wouldn't it have been both psychologically and probably practically better to announce that, you know, to, to either announce nothing because we were going till April 30th anyway. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. know, I don't know why he can't wait till April 27th to make an announcement like this if that has to be an extension. But, I mean, you know, I, I don't know what the point was of that. And, frankly... I'm hoping, I'm hoping that that by the time we get to May, I don't know, 1st, 5th, 10th, choose your date, you know, it will become much more obvious to government officials that we have to start relaxing certain things and get people into the schools and workplaces. Well, I wholeheartedly agree, and this gets back, in my opinion, to the same thing I was talking about, about the humility here. Now, it's humbling to say, listen, I don't know what's going to happen. We're going to make this decision week by week. Why these governors and mayors can't can't make these decisions week by week right. instead of unilaterally canceling school for the rest of the year, right. unilaterally canceling sports until September, things, things like this. Why they can't do it week by week? And, and, uh, there's a, now they're going to say one reason is, well, political expediency. They want to sound like they're the most cautious guy in the room, right. and, they, and their pollsters have told them that's a positive. Okay, that's probably a reason for some of it. Uh, they want to... Uh, they have a lot of government employees who are government unions, and they want, and the unions are demanding an answer of some kind because the unions don't care as long as they have some kind of a date that they work with. So they're giving them a far out date because they're getting paid. But I actually think this is a big part of that third aspect, which is a lack of humility. They don't want to admit to the public that this is a new disease that we really don't know much about, and we're going to have to take it week by week, and that that is the most responsible thing to do. So they don't want to do that because that, that would make them sound like they don't know everything. They love to sound like they know everything. Listen, Governor Cuomo's got another problem, which is he made that unilateral decision about May 15th continuing and telling everyone to hunker down whether they have the virus or not. And now we know that his brother, who has the virus and had the virus, was out biking and, and not staying at home and right. not staying self-quarantined. Right. And he had, nothing, he had no problem with it. He, he gave him a pass. Right. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a piece in the New York Post about it today by Carol Markowitz, who, um, and she writes about this, and she says, like, look, you know, he, he, he's doing this, and he clearly doesn't, you know, he, I mean, they asked him about it. It wasn't like, oh, he didn't say anything about it. He said, oh, no, it's okay for him to go, you know, for Chris to go out and on his bike and with his family. You know, listen, people can do that if they're six feet apart, but he had the virus. He's supposed to stay indoors, literally stay indoors, shelter in place if you had the virus. <laughs> and, he, and he's okay with that. So, again, so that tells me we're dealing with number three here, which is the lack of humility 
the lack of being able to say, thinking that if they go to the public and say we're going to take this week by week, that it'll make them seem like they're not the smartest guy in the room. And, uh, to, you know, when you try to be the smartest guy in the room, that is a really dangerous path to go down in life, whether you're a politician or not. Uh, you're going to turn me into more of a libertarian, I'll tell you. <laughs> I, th- I thought I was the maximum I could be, but I think you're going to turn me into more of one, as, uh-huh. as much as a Torah-observant Jew can be. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I, it's, it's amazing to me why more Orthodox Jews more, more, you know, aren't libertarians. I mean, just, you know, it's one of the things I talk about all the time. The greatest argument against too much government comes from Shmuel. I mean, if you read Shmuel, and when the people come to him and they want, they want to make you know, Saul the king, they want a king. Right, right. And everything that he says, you know, let's say it was, what, 3,000 years ago he says it, 3,500 years, it's still really, really relevant. He talks about all the things, and then the most important thing he says at the end, because this is the real reason why people like to have a government over them. It's not, it's not necessarily hero worship. He reminds them, oh, by the way, you get a king, you're still going to be responsible for all the mitzvot. You're still going to be responsible to God for all this stuff. And you can tell that was like, oh, we thought the king was going to handle this. You know, so we see this, for example, in Europe. You know, Euro- Europeans give no charity. I mean, the, the charity giving right. don- you know, donation levels of the Europeans is right. like zero. Right. Because the government is supposedly, is, aren't they doing all the charity? Right. You know? So that's just one example. But honestly, there's a, there's a strong libertarian streak, even in what you would think would be an authoritarian documents of the Torah and, and other parts of our tradition. There's a pretty strong thing that, you know, basically, yeah, that we're, we're, it's authoritarian, authoritarian when it comes to, you know, to God. Then you've got to be a loyal servant. But after that, eh, not so much. Everyone else is, like, not really that, including the kings of Israel, you know, who, who are all pretty much no darn good, right? And especially the really good ones who also had terrible flaws that we all know about. Correct. So it's, it's one of those things that, that, that confuses me. But I, actually, I think, I think a lot of people who understand the tradition are, are on my side on this one. Um, well, I, I, I can't thank you enough. Very, very <laughs> enlightening as usual. And you get to hear more of this and other topics with Jay coming up at 11 a.m. Eastern time right here uh, with great original live programming at the Nahum Siegel Network. I thank you for that, and I thank you for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Everyone stay safe. That's the bottom line. Everyone stay safe is right. Jake Novak on a Monday morning broadcast. You're listening to JM in the AM.